just when we thought it was time to illuminate the Christmas tree and prepare the hot chocolate and sit down by the warm fire, all of a sudden, Jesus steps into the midst of the disciples and the symphony playing quietly, gently in the background begins to build from a major to the minor key. The tempo begins to increase as the music begins to build towards a crescendo and the disciples' eyes begin to widen their pulse begins to increase, cold sweat and dry mouth for all of them. Because until now, Jesus seems to know everything. He seems to be able to see things happen before they do. There really has not been yet a challenge for Jesus that he has not met swimmingly well and succeeded through and come out on the other side of with the upper hand. Whether it was a, a trick question from a scholar, or a sick person needing healing, or 5,000 or more hungry people gathered on a mountainside with no place to go unless they go to town. Jesus always seems to have an answer. He knows just what to do. Until now. But now, Jesus douses the fire and pours the hot chocolate into the sink and puts a flashlight under his chin. And he says, the end is near. The hour is coming unexpectedly. And about that day and time, no one knows. Not even me. Now this uncertainty must have been amplified because it comes at the end of one of the most harrowing stretches in all of Scripture. This happens not long after Jesus. It's the same conversation. In fact, Jesus comes out of the temple with the disciples and he turns around and he points up to its grand facade and he says, look guys, a time's coming when not one stone will be laid on top of another. It's like Jesus comes to the street corner with the big plywood board painted on the front, the end is near, and stands and, and threatens the people passing by in the traffic. That's the version of Jesus we have outside the temple today. He says nation will rise against nation as the disciples' eyebrows begin to furrow and raise. Disaster upon disaster, tornadoes, floods, Category 5s, you name it, earthquakes. And you'll be hated, by the way. Just to cheer them up, Jesus says they'll be tortured. And that they too will die. Except those who endure to the end will be saved, he says. And again, he says, you'll never see it coming. It'll be like lightning flashing from the east to the west. There and gone, you will never would have seen it coming, and you'll wonder once it happened if it really did. 
And then he adds this, just to cheer everyone up even more. Where the corpse is, the vultures will gather. One of my favorite verses in scripture. Um, The perfect way to start off Advent. About that day, he says, no one knows, not me, not even the angels, only the Father. The only one who knows is the one who will initiate it, the one who sends, the one who sends the Son, the one who sends me will know. But the one who is sent won't even know. How is this good news? I really, I really am in a good mood today. I'm excited about Advent. I'm excited about hanging the green and decorating the sanctuary tonight. I am excited about strapping a Christmas tree to my own car, bringing it home and decorating it. I'm excited about colder days and frosty mornings and surprise snows even while it's sunny outside. I too am looking forward to hot chocolate and wood-burning fires, and love and compassion and cheerfulness that always seems to be more forthcoming this time of year. And I'm looking forward, too, to carols and candlelight and the excitement of children. I have yet to see a Hallmark movie titled Where the Corpse Is, There the Vultures Will Gather. I might watch that one, in fact. (laughs) What is this? But every Advent, the same thing happens. The first Sunday of Advent is our reminder that now we come and gather to wait. And not only that, we come and gather to remember that the second time Jesus comes will be more akin to a storm cloud gathering. Good news? I wager that it is. Indeed, all of this is good news. Maybe not the corpse, but the rest of it is really good news. Why? Because even though there's a lot we don't know, Jesus named something that we do know and can know from now on, and that is that there is a plot to our life There is a plot to the grand story of God's salvation of which we are a part. It has a beginning, a middle, and now we know it has a definitive end. And even though we don't know when it's coming, we know that it's coming. And that means we can be prepared. God's story has a conclusion. God names it and gives it to us in Jesus today and says, look, the end is near and that's good news because now your whole life can change in light of this coming or arrival. There are some folks who don't know this is going to happen and they live accordingly and yet there are some who gather and are reminded of this and who live accordingly. It will change your life to know that the end is near. Anne Lamott, my guess, is one of our favorite authors, tells a story of one time she was trying on dresses for 
a date that she had that night. She was with her friend Pammy, who only had a month to live and who was confined to a wheelchair. And Lamont said she's usually dressed in baggy clothes, so much so, in fact, that she was once accused of dressing like John Goodman. And so she felt a little awkward when she stepped out of the dressing room and stood in front of her friend in a lavender mini dress. And she said, Pammy, I don't know about this. Don't you think it makes my hip, hips look too big? And Pammy said, Annie, I really don't think you have that kind of time. Jesus says, it's going to come upon you like the flood came upon Noah. But here's a little fix, right, when, when he says that, that I, I dug into and I want to want to dig into a little bit more because there's a bit of a catch there. Yes, there is a sense that it will be Jesus coming like lightning crossing the sky from east to west, but, but when I go back and read the story of Noah in Genesis 6, God does seem to give Noah a lot of lead time. Noah has time to build an ark apparently by himself and one big enough to fit lots of animals. Still don't know how he gathered the cats. But he must have had time. So yes, a flood is coming. Yes, an end is approaching. And a new beginning is on the other side of that. And it will be sudden when it happens. But we know that it's coming, so we have time. We have time to prepare. We have time to, to wait and hope and look forward to. Maybe... Maybe the readiness to die is the same as the readiness to live. I can't tell the difference anymore. When I have met people who are close to death, they all seem to have recognized the same thing. A deeper appreciation for living now they care about less of the careless things. They enjoy their friendships and their family more. Even food tastes better. They know that an end is coming and a beginning will be on the other side of that. Maybe a readiness to die is the same as a readiness to live if you know what you're preparing for. Look, Jesus says two are going to be grinding meal together. And one's going to be taken and another's going to be left. And that says to me that there really is something about this text that invites us to, a, to an introspective waiting. A kind of change in our quality of life, of paying attention to how we are living and how we are waiting and preparing for the end. Such that you might even be in the same office and you go to work with someone else and you may wear the same clothes and you may chat about some of the same things at the water cooler. Maybe you even like some of the same sports teams. And, but when you really go down deeper underneath the superficial, there becomes a difference between one and the other person. I mean, a rather dramatic example of this would be from Dickens' Christmas Carol. 
You have two money counters. One's name is Ebenezer Scrooge. The other's name is Bob Cratchit. They're both counting money, but isn't there a different quality of life for one than the other? There is an invitation in this text to a preparation for discipleship. Even though we don't know the hour, we don't know what will happen, we don't know when the floods will rise or the winds will swoop down or the lightning will flash, we have no idea. We can wait with hopeful hearts. And we can live into that invitation that Paul offers us to pray, to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and to give thanks in every circumstance. There's a different way of living when you live that way. Jesus concludes by saying, a thief is coming. Merry Christmas, everyone. You'll be dead asleep and you'll hear the doorknob rattling and it will be a rude awakening. Here's the thing, though, when you go back all the way through the text and you start from the end, you recognize that the one coming is Jesus. So Jesus is actually comparing himself not only to a flood, but also to a thief. Well, what happens if you know the thief is coming? Well, you sit up and wait for him. What happens if you know who the thief is who's coming? Well, then you're not afraid anymore. You unlock the door, let them in, ask them if there's anything they need. I know someone who did that. She was driving through a neighborhood. Her name's Marsha, friend of mine from Durham, driving right through a neighborhood. She came to a stop sign. Her doors were unlocked. A man jumped in her car with a gun in his hand and said, Don't say a word, lady drive to the ATM. And she said, oh, my dear friend, <laughs> you seem like you are very anxious. Is there anything else I can do for you? And it spooked the guy so much <laughs> that he got out of the car and shut the door without saying a word. <laughs> And it just so happens, Marcia said, that she was on the phone with her husband at the time. And she didn't realize it, but she didn't hang up the phone when he got in the car. And she hung up the phone. But not before her husband heard her say, and she found out when she got home. He heard the man say as the door was shutting, man, I ain't ever met a woman like you before. I don't know when it's going to happen. But I, knew, I do think I have a glimpse of what it's going to be like. Because see, when I was a senior in high school, I was playing golf with my dad and my two younger brothers. Now my dad is very careful about thunder and lightning. Everyone else is still swimming in the pool, but if there's thunder way off in the distance, he's gathering the chickadees and putting them inside. 
very careful about thunder and lightning and always on the golf course, very sensible about it. But except for this one time, we were in the middle of the hole and there was a thundercloud to our east and then there was a thundercloud to our west and then there was a thundercloud to our north and to our south. We were surrounded. There was no way out. No getting on the golf carts to drive to safety. The only way we could merely escape was to walk into the woods and hunker down with our golf clubs, which we soon realized was a very bad idea. <laughs> so we left our golf clubs and we walked to the nearest house and we knocked on the door and no one was home. And the entire walk there, I thought I was going to die. Lightning bolts striking right around us so closely, but that there was no different distance between the sight of the lightning and the sound of the thunder. It was just explosion, explosion, explosion. We found our way to the porch of this, this home where nobody was, and we hunkered down there, and we waited for an hour and 45 minutes. We waited. It was an interminable wait. And just when the coast was clear, we began to step off the porch and... another lightning strike. And so we waited again. It left such an impression, I don't know. You ask, what will the last day on earth be like? Well, I call it a glimpse. And let me tell you folks, but it happens again, I will find it very familiar because when I see his face, I'll be so excited and I will say, I imagine with all of you, when we see him, like lightning flashing before our eyes, finally, I've been waiting for you. <laughs>